All right, welcome to the second episode of the Alien Gazing Podcast. Uh, this podcast is basically a place where we both dive into UFO alien topics in between having some great underground shoegaze music being played. Um, this first, this next episode is going to be about the Falcon Lake UFO incident. I am Nick, uh, and I'm joined by... Tom! <laughs> and we're Hello! Hello! Gonna... <laughs> You're listening to us in some <laughs> sphere of existence, and we are beaming into your brain right now because we are the aliens. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, <laughs> but we are going to go ahead and dive into some really cool music uh, to start us off. So we're going to go ahead and listen to our first song, and then we're going to dive deep into this episode. And the first song we're going to be featuring tonight is called Say No More by the band Slowly.
stuck in my head a lot as i was putting this episode together i just kept kind of ringing around in there so nicely done anyways <laughs> that song was uh, say no more by the band slowly it comes off of their 2019 album titled reveal and they actually just released a brand new track recently as i think about a week or so ago uh the song is called exit left uh, and listeners can find this on Spotify and the band's Bandcamp. Um, and they've got a new album that they're currently working on right now with some plans to release it next year. And actually, they're based out of Toronto, Canada, which is kind of appropriate for this episode because, as you'll find out in just a little bit, it all takes place in Canada. And with that, let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back to the Alien Gazing Podcast. And as we mentioned, this episode is going to be diving deep into the Falcon Lake UFO incident. So obviously, we're going to give you a uh, detailed breakdown of what this incident was, who the major players were, all, this, all the most important stuff. But let me just give you like a little bit of background. So Tom, actually, you brought this up. So why don't you tell me a little bit about where um, you first heard about this incident? Yeah. Um, so back in the nineties, um, I spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. One of the things that, um, I don't know if it was a thing or if it just was on TV, but one of the things that, um, grandpa and grandma liked to watch was unsolved mysteries. Well, it just so happens they did a episode on, um, on the subject um, what we're talking about. And it was my first real like UFO introduction, I guess, like like exposure to the UFO because, phenomenon. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It was like my first exposure. Cause um, I grew up, you know, going to Sabbath school and I grew up Adventist. So the fundamentals are very strict at the same time as my first exposure. Cause you know, I'm a good little, you know, kid that goes to Sabbath school. So I got freaked out. Like, I remember, I don't know, I, I don't even remember what I was eating, but that image at the time, I'm like, oh man, I never seen anything like this. And it freaked me out because like, you know, the guy didn't know what it was. So that whole, that whole story just kind of got me uh, thinking about like, oh, there is other things out there, you know? So that's kind of my experience with it. And that's totally understandable because this case, um, again, I had not even heard of it, but this case is one of the, one of the rare, rarest types of UFO incidents. This isn't, this isn't just an incident where someone sees a UFO and they talk about it, right? This, this incident, what makes this incident so interesting is the physical traces that were left behind, not just at the site where it occurred, but also on the person that witnessed it. Um, so we're going to dive deep into that um, mm -hmm. by giving you guys uh, a detailed um, retelling of what the UFO incident was at Falcon Lake. So it goes like this. The incident centers around a man named uh, Stefan Mikulak. Stefan Mikulak was a mechanic and an amateur geologist. And he was so when I say amateur geologist, basically what he liked to do like on his days off is he liked to go out into the wilderness and prospect, uh, which is basically where you chip away at rocks and you try to track down different types of stones, gems, uh, even gold or silver or whatever. I believe at the time that he, this uh, event occurred, he was prospecting for specifically quartz and silver. So in any case, um, where he was prospecting was at a place called Falcon Lake, hence the name of the incident. <laughs> uh, and this is near Nan uh, Manitoba in Canada. So he's out there and he's out there in the forest. Um, and he's prospecting and all of a sudden he hears a gaggle of geese uh, just 
go off into the sky as if they were, you know, freaked out by something. And so he looked up and then when he looked into the sky, he saw what he described as two cigar shaped objects with humps on them. And one of them descended while the other one stayed in the sky. The one that descended landed on a flat section of rock nearby, and he noted that as it descended, he could get a better view of the craft and noticed it to have a disc-like shape. As I said, the other one remained in the sky for a few minutes uh, before flying off. However, both of these uh, craft were described as changing color constantly. In his own words, and this is a quote, he states, from red to gray to light gray, and then to the color of hot stainless steel with a golden glow around it. So, end quote. Uh, so he spent about 30 minutes to an hour observing the, the one that landed. He was observing it, and he started to create a sketch of it. And if you look this up on the internet, you can find his sketch. It's really cool. But any case, he so he thought that it was a top secret experimental aircraft from the U.S. So he didn't he wasn't really threatened by it. He didn't feel like you know particularly freaked out. He just thought, oh, lucky me, I happen to be in the vicinity where they're testing an experimental new aircraft. That's cool. Um, anyways, so he notices an opening near the top of the craft um, that emitted a brilliant purple light. And he said that this light was so bright that it actually hurt to look at it directly. So on he goes, continuing to create his sketch of the object when he decides to approach it. And as he gets closer, he recalls the warm, he recalls warm air and the smell of sulfur, along with the whirring sound of motors and a hissing of air. <laughs> He noticed an open door on the, uh, on the side of the craft with bright lights coming from inside, and he said he could hear voices coming from inside the craft, but couldn't make out what they were saying over the sounds of the craft. So he decided to call out and offer his help, referring to the occupants inside as Yankee Boys. And this is a quote from his biography. He says, okay, Yankee Boys, having trouble? Come on out and we'll see what we can do about it. The, vo the voices he heard then go silent and did not respond. Stefan, Stefan then goes on to try other languages in an attempt to communicate. Uh, he used his native language, which was Polish, and then uh, Russian and German. Still, he got no response. At this, he decides to move in closer to the craft and notices the smooth metal of the ship that contained no seams. When he tried to take a peek inside the door, the lights coming from inside the craft were so bright that he had to put on his welding goggles. Now, if you're, out, if you're wondering why he would have had welding goggles, he would use the welding goggles while he was prospecting so he wouldn't get like chips of rock and stuff like that in his eyes. So he has to use those welding goggles just to look inside. And inside the craft, he claimed to have seen light beams and panels of various colored flashing lights, but could not see any living thing. And this is a quote uh, of him describing what he saw in the craft. The inside was a maze of lights, direct beams running in horizontal and diagonal paths, and a series of flashing lights, it seemed to me, were working in a random fashion with no particular order or sequence. After he stepped away, three panels slid across the door, opening, sealing it, one from the top and two from the sides. He reached out uh, to touch the side of the craft, but when he did, it melted the fingertips of the, of the glove that he was wearing. The craft then began to turn counterclockwise, and as it did, Stefan claims to have noticed a panel that contained a grid of holes. So like a square panel with like holes punched into it. And he actually, if you look at the, the picture he, uh, he drew, you can actually see this um, on it. But anyway, after he notices mm -hmm. that, uh, that grating, I'll call it, um, he was struck in the chest by a blast of what felt like hot air or gas from the grating that pushed him back and set his shirt on fire. The craft then lifted off and flew out of sight as he tore off his burning clothes. The experience left him disoriented and nauseous. He stumbled through the forest and throws up. 
He had been staying in a motel near Falcon Lake and was able to make his way back to his room. But then through a series of ordeal-esque things, uh, he describes more in more detail in his biography, he eventually left to catch a bus and headed into the nearby town of Winnipeg. He went to a hospital and received treatment uh, for burns to his chest and stomach that later turned into raised sores in the shape of a grid-like pattern identical to the shape he described seeing on the UFO. So again, I'm going to repeat that. He received treatment at a hospital for burns on his chest and stomach that later turned into raised sores in the same shape as the grid-like pattern that he saw on the UFO. So we'll dive into that a little a little bit deeper a little bit later. But anyways, so uh, he had that happen to him and he suffered consistent residual effects from the incident, including diarrhea, headaches, blackouts, and weight loss for a period of multiple weeks. What's more is a year later, he still experienced recurrences of the burns showing up on his chest and was still occasionally suffering from blackouts. When he eventually uh, went to uh, get a second opinion a year later after this was still occurring, uh, the doctors told him he should see a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist who saw him uh, referred to uh, Stefan Mikulak as, quote, a fellow who's very pragmatic and does not make up stories. So anyway, so the these burns eventually turned to scars that remained on his body for much of his life. And until the day he died, he believed that what he saw was a top-secret military craft and not something extraterrestrial. I don't want to speak for the man, so I'll just give you the quote that he offered in uh, relation to what he saw. He said, I'm not so close-minded that I can't entertain the possibility that it's otherworldly. I can't discount that. But without specific evidence to show me that it is, I don't know. What I can tell you is that I'm an aviation fanatic, a huge aviation buff, and I'm very familiar with how aviation technology has advanced in the past 50 years. And there was nothing even close to that in the works anywhere at that time. So that kind of concludes like Stefan Mikulak's experience. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give us um, just a little bit of information regarding the investigation that was done after the fact, and then we'll go ahead and go into our next song and then our next segment. So an investigation was done, um, and it was done by several levels of government, including the U.S. Air Force. All of them concluded that the, that the case was unexplained. Several items were later retrieved from the site. Among these were Stefan's glove, a shirt uh, that was uh, burned, his burned shirt, and some tools, all of which were ex extensively analyzed at the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Crime Lab. No official cause for the burns could be identified. Some other evidence at the site uh, included the fact that at the landing site, there's a circle of about 15 feet in diameter that is, to this day, devoid of the moss and vegetation that could be seen growing on other areas of the same rock outcropping. Other uh, pieces of evidence are soil samples that came from the site, which were tested and deemed to be highly radioactive. And last but not least, um, another thing that was found that was radioactive, I can't talk today, <laughs> were pieces of metal that were actually, they had to be chipped out of the rock, um, cracks in the rock where the craft had landed. What they'd, how they described this metal was that somehow this metal melted into the rocks. And when they analyzed that metal, it's highly radioactive and remains highly radioactive to this day. And I'm just going to add one more thing. And this, uh, what I'm going to add is a quote from Stefan's son, who was nine years old at the time of the incident, who recalled walking into his father's room when his father was laying there after the incident. And he says, quote, when I walked into the bedroom, there was a huge stink in the room, like a real horrible aroma of sulfur and burnt motor. It was all around and it was coming out of his pores. It was bad. And if you guys remember, when Stefan was walking towards the UFO, he smelled what smelled like sulfur. So now this sulfur smell after this incident is in his body somehow and is being emitted from him himself. So yeah, so that is the Falcon Lake UFO incident. 
So we're going to go yeah. ahead and dive even deeper into this and kind of talk about some interesting points that we can extract from it as well. But let's go ahead and listen to our next song for today's episode. And the title of the next track being featured on tonight's episode is Gravitation by the band Palm Haze. guitar tone that he gets you know it's really hard to capture fuzz um the fuzz sound really really well and actually they've got some other recordings where they get an even better fuzz sound i don't know what the guitarist is using as far as the gear but i'd like to find out for sure anyways uh, that song again was called gravitation by the band palm haze another awesome band out of vancouver canada um Tell you what, as soon as uh, this, this whole COVID thing passes, the first thing I need to do is I need to visit the spot where this UFO incident happened, and I need to see if I can catch a show from one of these awesome Canadian bands. Um, anyways, so uh, that song, Gravitation, was off their 2017 EP titled Tangy Dream, uh, and they have actually a couple of new singles they just released this year, and uh, they have another EP as well that came out last year titled Reve Blue. Uh, you can find their music on Spotify as well as Bandcamp, and you can follow them on Instagram at uh, at Love Palm Haze. So that's uh, Love Palm Haze, all one word, uh, on Instagram. And with that all being said, let's go ahead and get back to the show. And we are 
back. <laughs> so in our previous segment, we pretty much gave you guys a detailed uh, explanation as to what the Falcon-like UFO incident was. So in this next segment, we're just going to be ta- talking about you know our reactions to it and some ideas, theories, speculation that we have regarding what maybe Stefan Mikulak saw. Is it legit uh, or not? So let me let me go with let me start with uh, with you, Tom, again. So you were really young at the time. So how did it feel? Like, tell me about your experience seeing this being like your your first, you know, experience of, you know, UFO phenomenon. Yeah, um, I think, you know, honestly, I think this was this had to been pre Star Wars for me. Um, I think for a lot of people, um, Star Wars was kind of like, oh, yeah you know the introduction to aliens and you know different galaxies and stuff like that so when i saw this episode i was i was it terrified me because i mean this is something slowly you know based in reality and like what is this and and so this you know this experience this guy had was something that I couldn't even like fathom. And then on top of that, um, where I was, was in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, you know, and um, (laughs) yeah. So where I saw this was um, uh, in, you know, Wisconsin and, um, and none of my family lived in like the city, you know, not like, you know, Milwaukee or something like that. They live in Eau Claire. And that's where I was. So Euclid is like very, um, very, uh, it's, it, it's a small town, uh, but there's a lot of woods. So, so, you know, after, you know, watching such a thing and then like being surrounded by woods, you know, as a kid, it's just like, whoa, like he kind of put things into, you know, perspective. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this you know, something like this could happen uh, here. I, I, you know, because there's yeah. woods, you know, in you know, and there's creatures in the woods. <laughs> so it's just like there's just like another like layer to it. Like, you know, if because I think it'd be different. Like, because I like I remember watching like Red Dragon for the first time, and I, you know, that was kind of like more in the city, and that was probably one of the scarier. Um, I th- I thought that was a little bit scarier than Silence of the Lambs, in my opinion. But I remember just being terrified by the serial killer, you know, that was presented in Red Dragon. And so same thing um, with that same kind of feeling, um, it, you know, watching that and then going outside in the woods. It'd be, it was like, that's what really kind of, you know, terrified me about the whole thing. Um, and that was like, and then and on top of the, all that, that was my first experience with, you know, the UFOs and aliens and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, it, it, living out where you where you were, like kind of like out, out in the country versus like the city, and this is where this is happening is you know away from the city, away from the lights of the city. It kind of makes you think like, oh, I, I'm exposed, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I get, I get <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I get it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel you. So I've seen that episode as well. And they do actually show you some pictures of his stomach. And his stomach really did have this graded pattern on it. Like it was like, it looked like some sort of like, you know, like when you um, when you poke holes in like the, the shoe box that you keep your hamster in or, or whatever, you know, it was like that, you know, um, <laughs> and it, it was it was burned onto his chest. So this for yeah. me, like I, I can't, I come to this having only learned about it when, when you talked to me about it, Tom. And when I looked into it, my first initial thought was it went back to Bob Lazar. I don't know if you, the listener, are familiar with the Bob Lazar story, um, but if you aren't, I highly, I cannot recommend enough you check out this uh, this documentary on on Netflix, Bob Lazar, um, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. As as of today, it is still on Netflix, and you should 
definitely give it a shot uh, check out but briefly bob lazar was a person who in 1989 uh essentially blew the whistle on having him having worked at area 51 and confirmed that they were in fact working on backwards engineering ufo alien craft and from these revelations these uh revelations that he's provided um one of the things he talked about was the fuel source for the UFOs, which was something he uh, called Element 115. So I'm going to give – so basically when I heard this, this story, I'm thinking about how Stefan Mikulak got burned and what could cause those burns because further diving into um, his uh, medical – information shows that they could never really determine where the burns came from. Uh, there were indications that it could be radioactive, but then the way that the, the burns happened um, combined with his effects, they didn't really match up with something that was completely radioactive because although the, the reaction was really intense and quick uh, for him, if it was indeed radioactive, um, it would have led to his death at a much quicker pace. Um, but obviously this event didn't kill him. It just, you know, hurt him and affected his body. So in any case, so the fact that we don't know what, how those burns occurred makes me, I immediately thought, you know, element 115, you know, um, so to me, the fact that the, the source of the burns could not be determined combined with their physical effects on Stevens' body, as well as the smell emanating from the craft and then subsequently from Stevens' body, this to me points to something chemical that is not yet understood and recognized by science, especially at that time. Uh, so to me, this lends credi cred credibility to the idea that maybe this is a result of a human interaction with some waste byproduct of element 115 or whatever the sort fuel source that was used to power the craft. I don't know. What do you think about that, Tom? It's kind of interesting because, you know, nature can't, you know, take for a minute, take the, I guess, UFO out of the equation. Um, you, you can't just go out in nature and, and get burns like he did. You know, um, it, it, it's something that can't be reproduced. Like, and if, if and if it was nature, um, you know, honestly, it probably like if he ran into something in nature that was it, it probably he probably would already be dead. Like, if something was like, if something if something in nature produced that, because um, you're more or less dealing with like poison stuff. You're not dealing with you know clearly his burns are they're they're not nature and you, you you just can't reproduce those um that's kind of where yeah i think that's where i find the bit fascinating um yeah right right it's it's like okay oh you know if, if someone wants to claim that okay this isn't a ufo or you know someone tries to poo poo this this idea that he's been putting out there of his experience it's it's hard to refute it's probably the, the one of the hardest ufo cases to refute because of the physical after effects you know he um mm -hmm. he i mean he experienced like blackouts you know even a year after it and the sores still yeah remained on him you know this wasn't so it's like okay well yeah, exactly let's, let's just sit down and just plot out every possible thing it could be and it's like okay well do you know any aviation product from that time that has this specific grid pattern that would have landed in this specific area and then acts and then you know heard an actual human calling out to to it and still like you know took off and left this specific burn you know it's the arguments against it are way more illogical and way more hard to believe than the hard to believe truth of what it actually was or what he claims to yes was, you know <laughs> yep <laughs> and i want to draw attention to the to the other thing that that really provoked my interest which was Stefan Mikulak's, um description of the craft being seamless. This is another thing that, that Bob Lazar talks about in that documentary is that he, so we will do an episode on the Bob Lazar documentary because it's, it's fascinating and it's, 
I think I think actually the Bob Lazar stuff is kind of like key uh, for a lot of these UFO cases because assuming that what he's saying is true, that he did work on these UFO crafts, and I personally believe they are true, that what he's claimed is true, um, then he is an excellent source for confirming a lot of information that you see um, in these UFO stories. So the fact that Stefan Mikulak describes the craft as being seamless, you know, like there's no seams to it. That's one thing that Bob Lazar describes, um, both in the documentary and in his, his, his autobiography about his experience at um, Area 51. So the fact that he describes it as seamless, that's really interesting to me. And, and this is 1967. So of course, uh, this is 20 years after the Roswell incident. So if there's definitely going to be a lot of information out there about UFOs, but that little detail, the seamless thing, that that sticks out to me. Um, and also the lights. The lights were really interesting too. I don't see a connection with the Bob Lazar stuff there, but definitely very interesting. And uh, it gets even more interesting because uh, there actually is a similar case uh, like this one. And that similar case was, uh, let me see my notes here. It's referred to as the, the Cash Landrum uh, UFO incident. Um, Tom, have you, are you aware of this incident? No. This one des- deserves like a, a really detailed explanation, but we've already given you a huge uh, information dump, so to speak. So I'll just give you like as much of the highlights as I can. So in as few words as possible, this, this, this event occurred near Dayton, Texas in December 1980. It involves a, two women and, their, and, uh, and one of the women's grandson. Uh, the women are Betty Cash and Vicki Landrum and Landrum's grandson, Colby. So in as few words as possible, on their way home in uh, on their way home to Dayton, they saw a craft hovering above the trees. And as they continued on their journey, they saw the same light again, but it was much closer. The object was described as having a diamond shape and being so bright that it actually made the car hot to the touch. They saw, and then they saw what looked like military helicopters heading towards the craft as well. And following the incident, all three members experienced similar symptoms to Stefan Mikulak. They all suffered from nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, general weakness, and a burning sensation in their eyes. And also the feeling that they were suffering from a sunburn. And then later, Cash's syndromes, so uh, Betty Cash, her symptoms worsened to include many large painful blisters forming on her skin, having a hard time walking, and losing patches of both her skin and hair. She was actually hospitalized for 12 days because of this. And there's a lot more to the story to cover as well, but long story short, they ended up trying to file a lawsuit because of the incident, and they eventually won recovering sorry receiving 20 million dollars from the u.s government tom is your mind blown yeah it's it's blowing <laughs> um because so, it, it well no because it's 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 um interesting because it's they're very similar like you're saying it's like the and, same thing <laughs> almost yeah yeah almost that's very interesting actually yeah, and that they would actually, yeah. Well, because um, what's the? I guess it would be kind of uh, a placebo effect, kind of like if they knew about you know this other case. Sometimes, like people experience the same thing, you know, because they heard about something else, and but in this case, they didn't. It's two separate things, and that's that's kind of that's very interesting. The likelihood of them knowing about Stefan Mikulak's case is very little. This, ha- this yeah. occurred in 1980, so this is before that episode aired on um, on Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. And uh, these three, uh, these two women uh, and their grandson were described as being very conservative. Uh, in fact, um, I don't have this in my notes, so this is not an exact quote or anything like that. But from what I remember reading, um, one of the ladies looked at it and thought it was. <laughs> thought it was Jesus and uh and that they couldn't be hurt because God would never hurt them um which is just like obviously they did get hurt uh and it definitely wasn't Jesus yeah <laughs> but the fact that the, the the US government 
paid paid out twenty million dollars. I don't know, Tom. What do you yes. think there? <laughs> yeah, they maybe the government knows something. <laughs> Just here's some quiet money. Quiet money. <laughs> kind of, yeah. No, no, too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yeah. So that's. I don't know that mm. to me. So to me, the fact that that this this correlates with another UFO incident, but these are these are both two yeah. very very rare incidents. There is one other incident that I've heard of. I mm-hmm. couldn't find any information about it, and so so take this with so many grains of salt, like oversaturated with salt. But I remember reading about an incident where someone was fishing and they saw a UFO, and then they saw the the UFO dumping debris uh, from it into the lake. Um, so if you, if you out there listening, if this sounds familiar to you and you, uh, would like to, you know, send the information our way, like send us an email, um, saucers over Washington at gmail.com. And actually that's a good segment into, um, going ahead and playing our next track for this episode. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and do that. And then we'll come back to you guys with some of our concluding and final thoughts and some general thank yous and goodbyes. All right, so let's go ahead and play that next song now. And our final track for this evening's episode is called Miss You Too by Japanese Spiders. because I'm friends with the people who made it. <laughs> uh, the song is called Miss You Too by the band Japanese Spiders. And yeah, so Japanese Spiders is a collaboration between two friends of mine uh, in the local Orlando music scene. Uh, Mikey uh, from the band Summer Spiders and Steven from the band Audio Tourism. And if you, like myself, are also a local Orlando musician and you'd like to be a part of what they've got going on, uh, 
reach out to them. You can reach out to them on their Bandcamp page. Uh, you can also listen to all their music there as well. And uh, they actually have been doing this for a couple of years. Uh, what we just listened to was the first song that they put out back in November of 2018. And since then, they've released three other tracks, uh, which you can, of course, find on their Bandcamp page. And they have more tracks on the way. So with that all being said, let's go ahead and get back to the show. And we are back. Uh, so uh, we're going to go ahead and give you guys some of our concluding thoughts and final uh, final bits of information we want to add uh, before we go ahead and end uh, this episode. And before we do, just want to say a big thank you to all the bands who were featured on this episode of the Alien Gazing podcast. Uh, if you are a if you are in a shoegaze band and you like to have your music featured on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, Send me send us an email at saucersoverwashington at gmail.com. And that's spelled saucers over Washington the normal way. Nothing nothing funny about it. Uh, but we're always looking for more music to feature on the podcast. So please feel free to send uh send me a, send us a message and uh, let us know that you're interested. We'd be happy to feature you. So anyway, we're gonna go ahead and get into our final thoughts on this this subject. And then that'll, that'll do us up for the night. So let's go ahead and start with you, Tom. So uh, what are some of your final thoughts um, about the Falcon Lake UFO incident? I think my final thoughts would be that I strongly believe that Stefan's experience um, is definitely legit. A lot of, a lot of the factors in, in the story, you just, I don't think, can be man-made. The burns, the seamless um, about the ship, you know, you go into welding and, you know, you pay a good welder and for the quarters, I think. So just everything about, you know, about it, you know, to me, it's all legit. And then, and then on top of that, it's like his son has, has his account of what he saw that I think that's, it's authentic. And um, I'm very grateful for unsolved mysteries to uh, share this story um, to the world. And um, it definitely inspired me to, um, you know, do my own research and here we are. And here we are. Yeah. And actually that's a good, um, that's a good point to mention that if you're interested in learning more about this, this UFO incident, you can find um, Stefan, or sorry, Stan Mikalak, who is Stefan uh, Stefan Mikalak's son. He actually yeah. wrote, combined with another UFO researcher whose name escapes me right now, uh, co-authored a book called When They Appeared, which is about from Stan's experience what he experienced um, throughout that whole that whole account. But it also features uh, Stefan Mikalak's own autobiographical telling of the incident as well. So it's got you got three people in that book. But it's, anyway, it's called When They Appeared um, by Stan Mikalak. That's spelled M I C H A L A K. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about this incident, definitely check that book out. Very interesting. I um, I mostly just stuck to Stefan's. Um, personal account of the of the incident for this episode. Um, so most of my notes are based off of that. Uh, that portion of it's very short, um, but the stands portion is also really interesting. I'm only about um, a quarter of the way through it right now, but really fascinating. And and yeah, my my concluding thoughts are are, are pretty much the same. Yeah, this is this is hard to refute. I mean, I, I I'm a believer, obviously, but I try to whenever I look at an incident, I do try to apply the lens of a more skeptical person, because for me, throughout my life, I've been surrounded by people who are more skeptical towards the UFO phenomenon, which is totally fine. I, I don't hold anything against or for somebody just for believing in UFOs or whatever. Um, but nevertheless, even when you apply that skeptic's uh, point of view, it's what other explanation is there? The only other possible explanation is that it indeed was, you know, uh, an experimental military craft. But that being said, nothing at that time, especially again, 1967, man. I mean, we hadn't gone to the moon. We were just getting our stuff together to go to the moon, you know, the next year. And this, what you know, and this, what this, this craft was doing 
or what this craft had the capability to do. I mean, the way, so I didn't focus on it too much in the, in the description, but he describes the craft as flying off at such a high rate of speed that it, it was like instantaneous, you know? So we were busy trying to get, you know, get a giant rocket to essentially be propelled by like chemical farts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just like goes off, you know, this was just moving, like just, it just took off quick and it just put out a small, you know, burst of air that obviously set him on fire and gave him a lot of health problems. But nevertheless, I mean, compare that to like a rocket going off. I mean, I, I think he'd be dead 10 times over if it was a rocket. <laughs> so yeah, this, mm-hmm. this to me is one of the, one of the best documented cases I've ever, I've ever looked into. Uh, and I, I, I gotta, I gotta say thank you to Tom, dude. Like you may have heard about it from Unsolved Mysteries, but I never would have even heard of it had it not been for you. I had heard of the the Cash Landrum UFO incident, so th- hearing about this one just made that one so much more real um, and and hard to refute. It's interesting though because uh, in that one they ended up getting some money from the U.S. government. So you know, I wonder. It's sad. Stefan Mikulak is no longer with us, obviously, but you know, I wonder if he could have tried to make the same case, you know, get some money out of the the whole situation. I mean, maybe it would have covered his bills. Of course they're in Canada. So they got socialized medicine. They're fine over there, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in any case, um, so we would love to, we want to add a segment to this, uh, to the alien gazing podcast where we, um, where we answer questions from, uh, from, interested parties uh, we so far this is only our second episode uh we haven't gotten any yet so uh we want to go ahead and put out this invitation if you are interested in commenting or sharing your thoughts sharing your own ufo experiences um anything that you would like to share with us here at the podcast at the alien gazing podcast go ahead and send an email to saucers over washington at gmail.com and we can go ahead and get you um feature your comments your your experiences uh, all that kind of stuff i would be happy to feature it on the show but uh with that uh with that said i think that'll uh, that'll do us for tonight what do you think tom i think that does it all right. Well, that is another episode of the Alien Gazing Podcast uh, in the bag. Uh, we hope you guys have a great night wherever you are. Uh, stay safe. Uh, have a good holiday. Uh, obviously, have this, have a safe holiday. Um, and we will see you back on the next episode. All right. Bye. Bye.